Oh, hello. 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 Can you hear me now? Everything is well. All right. Awesome. How's everyone doing today? I'm glad to hear that. Happy Sabbath. I'm happy to be here again. Last time I came here was uh, also a treat, and I was preaching on something that was uh, pretty vital, you know, on Isaiah 54 and the bride, and that, uh, that was something that really hit very close to home for me. And so I'm glad to be here again. I want to just one more time go into prayer to invite the Lord's Spirit to be with us. So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to be here and preach your word, Lord. I, I thank you that I am able to be a co-laborer with you, Lord. It is such a privilege, Lord, how you would take us to be humble vessels, Lord, and uh, to be consecrated unto thee. And so I pray and ask, Lord, that you will continue to lead and guide not only me, but this congregation as well, and that they may be edified by this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, today the title of the sermon is A Sleeping Generation. And I want you to picture a sleeping baby in the middle of the night. He's there in his crib, totally helpless. He is totally unaware. Then suddenly, there's a random electrical fuse burst, and the house starts to catch on fire. The baby has no means to be able to escape, and he's just an infant who can't even reason, right? He can't even get up and, and, and walk away. So he must rely on his parents to either wake up from a fire alarm going off or to be woken up from the heat of the flames. You know, unfortunately, every man is like a sleeping child without the guise of the Holy Spirit. You see, you might be able to, to discern physical things. You might be able to do mathematics. You might be able to, to tell somebody about physics. But spiritual things, they are spiritually discerned. And the only way that we can ever understand them is if we surrender ourselves over to spiritual things. You know, many people right now are sleeping in a false sense of security, not knowing that there will come a great tribulation in which the likes this world has never seen that will determine their entire fate. You know, on the other hand, there are people that are in the church also as well that are too afraid to get out there. They're too stuck inside of their bubble, their church bubble, to go out and actually preach the word to people, to go and knock on doors. And if they were to just trust in God and have that understanding that he puts his words inside of their mouth with faith, then they would be able to reach so many people. Every single person has a ministry. Every single person has a certain amount of people that only they can reach at a certain time. You know, a perfect example of someone who was afraid to go and do the work of God was Jeremiah. When you look at his personality, he didn't want to go and do the work that he was called to do. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1, 6-9. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. When you get there, I want you to say amen, please. Go into our Bibles here. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 6-9. through nine. 
Is everybody there? Amen? Amen. That didn't sound very enthusiastic. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. All right. Got to be excited about the word. We got to be excited. Now, verses 6 through 9, it says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words into thy mouth. Now, that's a pretty clear example that God, he will strengthen those who step out in faith to do what it is that he has called them to do. Jeremiah literally received an oratory gift straight from the hands of God and divine intervention with his words. It is pretty incredible when you start to look at the context of the time, when you start to look at what the people of Israel were going through during the times of Jeremiah. You know, he set forth the proponent to bring back restoration to the people. He was sent on a mission to awaken a sleeping people, sleeping babes. He was put forth in a twofold manifold, both destructive and reconstructive. In Jeremiah 1 and 1 and 11, it says, you can go there in your Bibles. We're already there in 1 and 11. And you get there, say amen. Amen. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. You know, the almond tree, it is very important to understand what the almond tree represents here. It was the first to bring forth fruit in the spring. And during that time, Jeremiah was sent to bring forth the first fruits. He was sent forth to bring back his people, God's people. You know, the Lord has put forth his hand in intercession, and there is nothing that can stop the word of the Lord from coming into fruition and into fulfillment. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, and it says, and we can go there, just one chapter behind, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, 55, 10 and 11. And it says, have you gotten there? Amen? Amen. For the mountains shall depart and the hills, oh, sorry, wrong, uh, 10 and 11. So, for as the rain cometh down, I'm pretty sure you have 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain cometh down and snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but withereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So often, so often does man go forth afraid. Whatever the Lord sets us out to do, he shall cause us to accomplish. But if you go forth in faith, 
And you shall be able to do what it is the Lord calls you to do. But people, they step away because of fear of failure. Because of failure. Now, no woman or man wants to go to somewhere where their demise is inevitable. Everybody wants to be accepted. Do you want to be accepted? Now, of course, in this world, in, in a world where we are steeped with the things of, of Satan, where there is so much propaganda all over the place, of course, if you have spiritual foresight, you're not going to want to be a part of that. But everyone wants to be loved. That is an innate desire of man. Everybody wants to be accepted. However, now imagine penmen without their hands or orators without their voices. Even then, God uses men and women who are not the most adept in society if they have faith. However, what good is unfaithfulness in a faithless generation? Even faithfulness will struggle going to a location where the people are asleep and lacking faith. Even Jesus himself could do no miracles in his hometown because they had no faith. Matthew 13, 53 through 58, it says, and you can go in your Bibles there, have it here, and when you get there, say amen. Matthew 53 and 58, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, From whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not with us all? From whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see, the times of Jeremiah had an Israelite nation amid Babylonian, Assyrian, and Egyptian conflict. So most definitely, Jeremiah had good reason to not want to go into Israel. He had very, very good reason. Very, very good reason. Now, without a doubt, Jeremiah thought to himself as in insignificant amid, uh, amid the military powers and the elders of the priestly ordinance. But, you know, the Lord, he chose him as a youth. God chooses the things that are weak to confound the wise. He chooses them to confound the nation. 1 Corinthians 26 and 27, it says, For ye see, and if you can go in your Bibles, we can go there right now, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 26 and 27. First Corinthians 26 and 27. Uh, First Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. It's for, foresee your calling, brethren. Have you gotten there, everybody there? Amen. Amen. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to not things that are. God chooses the weak things of this world in order to confine the mighty things. You know, in a world where, where there is so much confusion, where confusion can so easily permeate the minds of men and where all types of distractions will try to invade the spirit, it is so vital to understand that no matter the position or power, there is none truer than the Lord. Amen? None truer than the Lord. There are so many things that can, can take you by the wayside. So many things that can appear to be correct. So many religions that claim to be the truth. That there is none truer than the Lord. Jeremiah 1, 17 through 19, it says, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise. And you can go there in your Bibles. Uh, gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. If you read through the passage, there are some, some key words here. And, you know, we, we won't go too deep into some crazy study on the words. But we'll go into two key words that really should stand out to you. The Hebrew words tezor and uh, for the words for, for gird up is, uh, is tezor. And ahitaka is, is the word for readying oneself. And, and both of them are accurately Described. So tezor is to ready one, oneself. And ahitaka is to more accurately be translated as I will terrify you or tear you down, break you down. Now, this is not meaning that God will literally go and break down Jeremiah. It is often the case that God takes away his hand when we do not obey. But that Jeremiah if his faith was to falter, that he would no doubt be consumed by the people's influences and could easily be taken by their ways, distracted or even killed. You see, Jeremiah was amid a totally backslidden Israel that had gone as far as to sacrifice children to Moloch. I picture myself in the shoes of Jeremiah and wonder to myself if these thoughts crossed his mind. The fact of the matter is that if they would sacrifice children, how much more would they do to me? How much more would they kill me? They were so easily to go and sacrifice children, of course, they wouldn't think twice about me. But you see, the truth, and this is in unison, it is like a convicting spear that penetrates the heart, the mind, and the spirit, there's no telling how man will react. They can either be totally repentant or, or totally shut off. 
or might be in the land of decision, teetering whether or not they want to come into the fold or come out of the fold. One foot in and one foot out. Spiritual blindness is one of the biggest issues in this generation. There are so many distractions, things that take us away from our Creator and for the possibility of salvation, whether you be inside of the church or outside of the church. I remember when I was a child, the countless hours I spent distracted. I remember that my mind, when I was immersed in various other things like video games or, or movies or whatever other thing I was worried about during that time, I did not think about God in those moments. I was just focused on whatever game I was playing or focused on whatever activity I was involved in. You know, it was like an escape. Now that I've been converted, now that I've been brought into God's fold, I see that real freedom lies in the Word of God. The, re- the Bible refers to God's law as the law of liberty. And that is, that, that is true freedom. It is greater freedom than any other escape. It is the truest escape from this world. James 2 and 12, it says, So speak ye, and so do, as those who shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment with mercy, without mercy, who hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth, rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and if one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, without giving them those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. What would have happened if Jeremiah would have gone over to the Israelites and say, Hey, I need you guys to repent, but then go behind somewhere else and be doing the very same exact things that they were doing. Or going over to, to try and spiritually feed them, but wasn't really spiritually fed himself. Most certainly he would have failed. A man's faith will not be fueled if they are not going in the correct direction. If they are putting their faith in the wrong things and all of their time in the wrong places. Jeremiah 2.13, and we can go there in our Bibles because this is a vital verse here. And I'm, I'm sure that um, pretty much everyone should, should know this verse here. Jeremiah 2.13. Jeremiah 2.13. 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. It's so often in this life that people go to things to fill a void in their heart that only God can fill. Every single human being has a God-shaped vacuum inside of their heart. And without the Lord, we're going to go to various other places trying to find that fulfillment. It's so often that people go to some sort of outlet to find purpose when it is only God that can supply that worth. It is often that people lose sight of the ever-living God because they have brought veneration to idols and to gods that have no real power. 
They have brought their veneration, their reverence, their respect to other places other than God. There's a constant array of things that can then take precedence over our commitment to Jesus. But amid all of that, the Lord is a light shining the, be- the gospel call. He's beckoning the gospel call. The people found no true moral worth in any of the things that they were doing or that they gave themselves into. The purpose of it all is Jesus, who is the source of moral worth. He is the purpose of our lives, of this life. You know, it is the case when man steps away from God, from the Lord, that the devil takes advantage of that ignorance and the weakness of man. The men of valor and strength, truthfully, none of them are strong. There is no man who is truly mighty when compared to the Lord. Because the strength of man, it is weakness unto the Lord. It is also no match for Satan as well. If there is any man who fancies himself to be strong, then he has concerned himself with the matters of the flesh. The Lord calls us to be humble and of contrite spirit. If any man has any true strength, if it can be called good, it's because it has come from the Lord. Such men like David or, or Samson, who were servants of the Lord, despite their many shortcomings. And of course, we know that when Samson stepped away from God, it's when he truly became weak. He was a judge who was supposed to be a shining light. And you see the dichotomies between Samson and, and, and the prophet Samuel, who was also a Nazarite. You see the product of faithfulness, the product of truth. You know, moving just a bit forward in, in chapters 2 of Jeremiah, the prophet gives a warning to the people from the Lord. He wanted them to step away from their backsliding and from their vanity. The leaders, they were false prophets leading people astray and disregarding the ways of the Lord. They sought to have their own benefits, have the benefits of the Lord, but none of the commitment. They were people sacrificing in vain, just like in the times of Isaiah. It's also the same in this generation, a generation of men and women who want to have the benefits of the Lord, yet they do not want to do what the Lord has called them to do. You know, the work is pressing, yet many are not impressed enough. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. This is a generation in which God is being taken out of the common citizen's life. And even the Bible is being banned in schools because they claim that it's pornographic. The world has taken that which is good and has made it into evil. The kingdom of Satan wants to be a mirror opposite of God and claiming that the, the glory for himself. You see, the Lord, he shall confound them, cause them to be ashamed because the only one who is worthy of praise is Jesus. Isaiah 2 and 26, and says, as the thief is ashamed, and you can go there in your Bibles, 2 and 26, Isaiah 2 and 26, and when you get there, say amen. Isaiah 2 and 26. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 2 and 26. See? 
see it here. Sorry, it's uh, Isaiah 1 and 26. Amen. As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets. Isaiah 2 and 26. Sorry, not Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2 and 26. Yeah, it seems we got a little mix-up here. 2 and 26. As the thief is ashamed when he is found, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets. You know, the analogy here, it expresses the blatant disregard in which the people were living. They were serving the ways of shame and casting aside the ways of God. Has anyone ever been in a store with a child and, and caught them stealing before? Who has, who has caught their, their child or grandson or something like that uh, stealing before? You know, at first, the trip, that first trip, you know, the child, he, he might not get caught, right? He might think he got away with it. But at some point, parental instinct will kick in, and you'll realize, you know, every time I come to this store, this child, you know, my kid is, is really suspicious. Eventually, they get caught, right, at some point or another. And they'll, you know, they'll be sorry for their actions and likely bow their head in shame and, and be sorrowful. Only the truly rebellious child will be unremorseful. You know, in like manner, this generation is closer and closer to the stage of total rebellion against Jesus. The shame is quite apparent, but the people of this world take pleasure in wickedness. Ecclesiastics 19 and 15, it says, Whoso taketh pleasure in wickedness shall be condemned, but he that resisteth pleasure crowneth his life. Going a little bit further ahead in the stream of history, we've been going through the book of Ephesians in, in our quarterly, right? And, you know, we see a church being addressed by Paul and his fatherly love. Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6. Go to Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6, and you can go in your Bibles. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And when you get there, you say amen. When you get there, you can say amen. All right. And it says, according... According as he, it's 4, 5, and 6. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You know, it's so vital to understand the nature by which Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's addressing a people, you know, that were mixed in with Roman influence and, and they had licentiousness and a variety of other issues. You know, a parallel can be seen here. And, and the address that Paul goes to the church with as it pertains to the times of Jeremiah. God is a father who rebukes with love and compassion 
He wishes that none shall perish, but that all may turn and have everlasting life. The major theme is putting on the new man. God wanted his people to turn away from that and put on the new man. Ephesians 4, 24, it says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Every committed Christian, when entered into the baptismal waters, has died to their old life and has been born again. The whole entire purpose of Israel was to bring salvation onto the nations. They were a sustained olive tree. And every man that was born as a newborn child, they were to be like a wild olive tree branch grafted into a sustained olive tree. And that's who we are now. We are spiritual Israel that has been called to bring people into a beautiful olive tree to exhibit the first fruits. People, they, they have allowed Jesus, we should allow Jesus to remove the old man and, and to allow him to have that transformation in our lives too. Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says, For when we were yet without strength, yet due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit has brought forth the truth in us and is what gives us new hearts and minds made after Christ. Romans 12, 2 and 3 says, uh, that's Roman 12, Romans 12, 2 and 3, transformed by the renewing of thy mind. And that's what we should have every single day. We should come to the foot of the cross, kneeling before the Lord, when we wake up, asking him, Lord, please flush me of self so that I may be who you want me to be. The exercising of faith is what brings forth the evidence of discipleship and is what shines the light of the Lord upon the contenance of man. The ways of Israel, and, and far, they far stepped away from the ways of the Lord. They had forgotten to seek the Lord with all their hearts. They, they stepped so far away from him that they were sacrificing babies and serving him at the same time. What type of hypocrisy is that? How can you go and, and sacrifice a baby on Friday and then go and serve the Lord on Saturday? Can you imagine being in the midst of that type of people? I know I wouldn't want to be there. But in many ways, we do the same thing. In many ways, man... People in the church, people outside of the church, they're doing the same thing. Lukewarm Christianity is one of the things that can destroy us the most. The ways of Israel, they far stepped away. Without a shadow of doubt, the people, they were blinded. They had no guise. They had no understanding of their own guilt. They thought that they were fine. Jeremiah 2, 35 through 37, it says, Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. 
Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have no sin. I have not sinned. Why, God, is thou about so much to change thy way? Thou also shalt be ashamed of Egypt, as thou was ashamed of Assyria. Yea, thou shalt go forth from him, and thine hands upon thine head. For the Lord hath rejected thy confidences, and thou shalt not prosper in them. The people, they truly believed that they were were innocent. But the evidence and testimony of Jeremiah said otherwise. In today's age, there are many who are claiming innocence, but are not aware of their own guilt. You know, for this reason, it's so important to study the word of God. It's so important to be immersed in the truth. That way that you can be able to differentiate what are the devices of the devil and what are the ways that God wants you to walk in. The ending of, of, of Jeremiah chapter 2, it shows us the position that we do not want to be in ourselves. We do not want to be a people that are blind spiritually. And here's a wonderful quote from Ellen White that really does shed light on what the Lord seeks from his people. And it reads, Two classes of witnesses are presented in the prophet Malachi's words. Of the first class, it is written, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. These words, they, they describe those who ought to have better represented the precious truth, who ought to have an example to those newly come to the faith. For all who follow him, the Lord has prepared a rich feast of heavenly things. He has ordained that those who follow him shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord does not call upon his believing, obedient followers to cover the altar with tears, but to walk cheerfully and happily along. It goes without question that the life of the Christian will endure sorrow or some sort of struggle. Jesus never said that man would not be persecuted for his sake. He said the opposite. However, he told us that he would send a comforter, and he did send a comforter. He exclaimed, be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. Therefore, when you consider your situation, know that the Lord is not at fault for the suffering of man, but he has endured that suffering and is enduring alongside you. As the ends of the earth, earth's history is coming to a close, it is vital to understand the character of God. His character being one of real love and patience that is willing to take a people as far gone as Israel during the times of Jeremiah and offer his comfort again. Many of them, they lost faith and hope in the Lord and began to go over idols. But God will take you where you are and shed away the evil that has held you down. He will work with you. No sin is a curse that holds its consequence, but the gift of life comes from Christ. 
That's Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for all that you do, Lord. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here worshiping you in a place of safety, that we may abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that you may continue to fill us with your truth and with your understanding, that you may help us to have acknowledgement in the ways that we should walk, Lord, and that we may have newness of life every single day, putting on the new man, for we have died to our old lives, and you have transformed us and made us new. And that no manner of thing in this world be able to confound us. Because you said in your word, Lord, that not one shall be plucked out of your hand. And how many, like sheep, have gone astray, Lord. But do you not leave the 99 and go search after that one sheep? Of course you do. And when you bring them back, that they may have happiness and joy, Lord. And so we pray and ask, Lord, that we will have that happiness and joy, that we may walk in this life that you have given us cheerfully. We thank you so much, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.